Hello and welcome to Getting to Grow, the podcast dedicated to unearthing the stories of some of the best brands in the food and wellness space, hosted by myself and Sam. Each episode we chat to founders, experts and industry professionals who each have their own personal journeys. We discover how they built their business, what's next and everything in between. This week we spoke to Stu McDonald, founder of totally delicious peanut butter brand Manny Life. We spoke about how his travels gave him his idea, how a mistake turned into a best-selling product and how he plans to change the category. Okay, uh, the meeting has been recorded, continue. All right, cool. <laughs> I tried to stop interrupting you. <laughs> Um, hi Stuart, welcome to Getting to Grow, super excited to have you on, um, we are 100% big at peanut butter lovers in this household, so um, yeah, a very exciting one for us today. So before I even ask you um, like how and what you did before, mm. um, Manny Life etc, but I have a burning question, like why okay. Manny Life? Yeah, lo- loads of people ask this. And there's a, there's a funny story, but um, Manny means peanut in Argentine. And okay. we saw, like, Manny Up was born out of a trip I took to Argentina, and that's where our farm is based. Um, so Manny means peanut, and life was, at the beginning, just a kind of third syllable, but it, but it has kind of come to encapsulate our, like, kind of way of being. It's quite interesting. So... We make like absolutely banging products, but what gets me up in the morning and what I think gets the whole team up in the morning is this thing that we kind of just exist to make people happy. So that so life is the people element, which I'm really, really passionate about. And Manny is the product, which means peanut. But um, we were originally, the first jar of peanut butter I ever made was called Stews. Uh, and I remember, um, this has been back in 2015 when I was still in Argentina, I remember being about to file the trademark for Pampas Spreads because our peanut, because the farm is like in La Pampa, which is an area in Argentina. And then my brother called me or texted me, being like, shoot, Pampa, like the diaper, Pampa, Pampas, <laughs> peanut butter looks like shit. Like, what are you, what are you thinking? So I uh, pulled the ripcord on that one and ended up my life, which I think is a pretty good name. But yeah, it requires a bit of explanation sometimes. Like, so tell us about your time at Manu Life. How did you get the job there? And obviously they'd read, read, they'd read Manny Life as Manny Life. And he was like, yeah, my brother's the founder. And uh, they were like, well, your brother's like, <laughs> I don't know, whoever the founder of Manny Life was. And then, yeah, it was, he ducked out. But yeah, he, um, he got, got pretty far. Oh my God, that's life. hilarious. But, yeah. That's so funny. That's a good one to tell people. Like, that's a good story though. Uh, yeah, that's that's it for the stories on Manny Life. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's enough. I think you you are you're up there with some good ones. Um, so talk to us about I guess before Manny Life. Uh, where did you go to uni? Um, and what did you study? And what was your kind of first job out of uni? So went to Bristol, studied economics. Classic. Yeah, exactly. Posh boy from Bristol. <laughs> uh, did you guys go to Bristol? No, we were actually at a non-Russell group, yeah. former. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's, 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 I, really, I absolutely loved it. But yeah, there's a lot of food and bad people who went to Bristol. Uh, studied economics and Spanish, uh, which I guess maybe led me to Argentina somewhat. First job out of uni was my job as 
an accountant at PwC, but throughout school and throughout university, I was kind of always doing bits and bobs, um, like selling tickets for nights, uh, actually organi- yeah. organized, I can't remember what it was called, but there was a university ball that the university organized and I always thought it was a bit shit. So, um, so mate and, and, mate and I arranged, it was probably called something NAF, like the alternative Bristol ball and did stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it was, loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was great. Look back on it fondly. And then, so yeah, you became an accountant. And then I guess the next question is obviously, how did you come across um, like peanut butter and why? I mean, did you love peanut butter pre-manny life? No, I hated it. I thought it was rubbish. Really? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll, I'll try and give you the, the somewhat, I'll, I'll, give you the, I'll give you the story and we'll see where we go. Um, so Manny Life basically started when after that little stint as, like a, as an accountant, as an intern, I was offered a job and I knew that I didn't really want to do it. So I decided that I would put it off to move to Argentina, where the idea was to basically go there, live the dream and build up enough guilt to become an accountant for three years. And when I arrived, I fell into working with this peanut butter social enterprise. I remember we used, we used to go around soup kitchens, kind of teaching kids and families how to use the stuff. And I developed like a pretty strong passion for it quite quickly. Uh, so much so that I started making recipes in my mate's kitchen in Buenos Aires, like selling to expats. That kind of grew and grew and grew, uh, or the interest grew, until I eventually tracked down the farm in Argentina that we still source from today and met them, fell in love with them, realized their product was like incredible. Um, and it was around that time that I was about to start going home and I looked at the market back home and saw that whilst it was growing, no one was really talking about peanut butter the same way we talk about kind of coffee, chocolate, wine. There's no provenance to it. So put off the job again, having met these farmers um, with the idea of starting what was meant to be a provenance-based peanut butter brand. So, and we were like the Argentinian peanut butter. Um, it transitioned to something completely different, which we can go, on, go into if you want. But yeah, basically Manny and I started off the back of like coincidence and meeting this farm and loving them. Um, I think that's how a lot of... Um businesses start though it starts from like either a passion or a trip abroad um as mm. we found actually quite a lot of our founders that we've spoken yeah. to yeah it started with like an idea that you know became and it all seems to start in like a small kitchen and yeah and then yeah. kind of grow. so it is it very much is you know you just it's and it's, I guess it's the same for anything really but you just have to do it if you love yeah. it just do it and it will grow exactly and what's um, what's interesting about I guess the main life story is it started a kitchen in Buenos Aires, but then when it got to the UK, it was initially supposed to start kind of with a, a bigger manufacturer. Um, I mean, in hindsight, it was a pretty loose agreement. But when the first ton of peanuts arrived in the UK, the manufacturer that I'd loosely tie, kind of tied up uh, pulled out. So I was left with a ton of peanuts in 25 kilo bags in my bedroom with no one to make it. And so what happened is that summer, I got together about 45 mates, rented out a rubber cup kitchen, bought two little blenders, and we spent the entire summer making 4,000 jars of peanut butter, one jar at a time. And although it was hell, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because we transitioned from what was going to be ultimately like a provenance-based co-packed brand, which is less defensible and less special, into some 
into something that was like, I think genuinely and authentically kind of craft. Like we got to understand the product in a way that no one before us had. Like that was the summer where we kind of accidentally created the deep roast. It was when we started understanding roast and blends. And yeah, I think was pretty important. So somewhat hellish. So actually, like, I think it was like, you can say everything happens for a reason in that sense that obviously if you had gone ahead with that manufacturer, it wouldn't be the brand it is today. Exactly. And I see on, I saw, sorry, I saw on your website um, that you say, I believe in happiness that comes through great food, generosity and good company. Manny life is far more than just peanut butter. It's bringing people together. So I guess from your 45 friends in a room and like bringing you together initially, that's where the core is. Exactly. And that's the other thing, right? So like kind of through necessity, we, we, we created and also because i love people we create this community that kind of fueled everything so for the first first like year year and a bit manny life was me and just this like legion of volunteers and it was people that would just come and like do sampling for nothing because they loved us they'd work and the, they'd work at shows for nothing because they enjoyed it we like the people in the production room were just mates or friends of friends or customers and it was like a really really incredible kind of like breeding ground for this culture of community um mm. yeah so you've got you've got a ton of peanut butter you've got a ton of peanuts now made into jars in peanut butter via your blender yeah <laughs> so what was what was next how did you i guess get sort of the funding to scale it um or or what came before that um so a few things, I guess. So the first, the first stint was 10 shops and, and like farmer's markets, uh, which I think is quite typical as well. And that was basically funded partly by the fact that my mates working for nothing when we weren't making any money, but, and I had a bit of savings from just, like, I guess, the work I've done before. Um, and when, you, sorry, when you say that funded it, what do you mean in terms of funding it? Because like, I guess you could you could um, you could save all costs and like physically drive yourself to yeah, the that, shop. That was literally what I was doing. That was what you're doing. Yeah, that was literally what I was right. doing. And you were the wholesaler. <laughs> yeah, essentially, we didn't get a wholesaler until two years in. Um, but what ultimately ended up happening is we sold those four thousand odd jars over over the summer and had a few left that kind of sold a bit after. But in September, when my job at PDBC was um, offered to me uh we weren't making any money it was pretty stressful and i ultimately decided to kind of can money life and become an accountant okay. and it was just this horrible well no it wasn't horrible it was it was like learned a lot and started making a bit of money but there was this constant kind of feeling that we'd created something that people loved i was getting loads of calls from from customers being like where is it where is it where is it and eventually kind of six months into pvc i, I cracked and started and got back into production on weekends, started selling to the shops we sold to initially. And that went on for about another five months. And I remember summer of 2016, would have been, when I was working weekends, working evenings around being an accountant. Uh, Still like kitchen, 10, 15, 20 shops. Uh, I got a call or an email from a buyer at Acade, still there, he's called Charlie Hacker. And he was like, shoot, I've heard about this pin well in life. Like, we'd love to, we'd love you to come in. And I was just like, this is fucking bonkers. Like, we were literally. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, f- well, we can do a car, no, no problem. 
so went to see him ultimately like we didn't get it I think I think uh, it took us about uh, two years to, to actually get back in but it was kind of in that moment that I was like shit I should probably have a go at this um yeah so month after that uh, uh, yeah quit and got going um and that was a really interesting period um because it was still basically volunteers but we managed to get or I managed to get a personal loan from Santander which like there's loads of them now Virgin do some um for I think it was 25 grand and that basically still paying it off but that funded like the initial burst of which was basically still me and mates driving around doing shows dropping peanut butter into shops uh, but that got us from a kind of two grand a month business to a 17 grand month business in six six or so months uh and then we raised money and kind of got on to the next stage that's quite like a significant difference though two to seventeen thousand pounds a month is like really decent it just shows that you obviously have a product that i think um well people love and i think that's the crux of it like that's potentially why people fail they don't have your drive they don't have your passion and they don't have the product whereas you definitely i get the vibe um (laughs) like me i'm like you i'm very passionate about the food industry so i yeah you you just have to jump all in Mm. um absolutely eventually Um, eventually it becomes important to get people around you and like and to be honest it becomes important very quickly but uh, but yeah passion is so so key especially at the early stages because it's like yeah super hard otherwise it's a bit like what's the point yeah exactly um so kind of what were your what were your aims at the beginning I mean I I can I can only imagine I've never started my own company so I'm just thinking of myself in your kitchen making peanut butter and I don't know whether like did you have many aims or was it more just like let's just do this and see where it goes I think it's interesting because like the the post-event narrative is quite common and you can kind of impose this like vision and strategy onto it but I think reflecting on it you're probably right it was just like let's let's see what happens Mm. and I think having had the job as an accountant and not I didn't hate it but like I was I wasn't passionate about it at all that was really useful because whenever it got really really hit really tricky really hard it was like well this is really hard but but it's better than being bored as an accountant. Um, but yeah, it was just like, let's see what happens. And another question I've got as well is, um, so like, why is your peanut butter so different? Because um, there's loads of other brands out there. Um, and what I always find amazing, and this might be so naive because I have no idea about peanuts, but it's peanut, right? So they're all peanut to peanut. They're all the same peanuts, but how can peanut butters taste so different? It's, it's, I find that really interesting. Yeah. Obviously, I understand if you roast a peanut and then blend it, it's different to mm. a non-roasted. Mm. But generally speaking. So people have asked us this since day one, because, yeah, you're right. Peanut butter is just peanut butter. It's peanuts and sea salt, usually. Um, and my response to them, because don't want to give away too many secrets, is do you drink coffee? Do you, no, 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 it's not. It's... Do you drink coffee? Yes. Yeah. Coffee is always just coffee. Ultimately, yeah. but you can get you can get uh, 
like a, an all press flat white or whatever, an all press coffee mm. or like a Nescafe. It's all just coffee, but one is oh, yeah, creme de la creme. Chocolate is is usually three or four ingredients, which is a bit, bit, bit more complex. Wine is just grapes. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was, and it was, and that is what Manny Life is ultimately trying to do with peanut butter. We're trying to apply the same level of consideration that like the master coffee roasters start applying to coffee uh, or master coffee roaster brewers start applying to coffee 20, 25 years ago to peanut butter. And it's the same thing, right? So like origin is really important. Um, quality of raw material is re- raw material is really important. I remember when we were buying um, our peanuts initially for this and we were asking for like, the highest spec peanut you could buy. They kind of laughed at us and it was like, you're making peanut butter. Why don't you just buy splits, which is kind of, it's kind of like the offcuts of, of the peanuts. And I think before Manny Life, that's probably what most peanut butters would buy. And then so that's raw material. And then you get into roasting and we got super, super, super nerdy on roasting. Somewhat back so because we, we accidentally created the deep roast, which we can talk about. Um, and then the blending is like another, another step altogether. And it's just... It's just taking more care, basically. Yeah, so it's kind of a stru- it's like a yes, yeah, it's a process. Yeah, exactly. And and if you look, if you go into like any craft, which is kind of an overused word, but if you go to any craft category, it's creating flavor through better ingredients rather than more ingredients, and creating flavor through process as opposed to ingredients. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Thank you, because I always like, I genuinely worry that, but actually now you said about the coffee, it really does make sense, because yeah, you're right, coffee at the end of the day is a bean. Um, so sort of fast forward um, some years, and you're now um, kind of like, we're looking at present day. Was it more of a, a slow growth, or was it like, oh my goodness, Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Ocado, Co-op, Morrison's are all interested at the same time, and then you had to kind of, you know, your your production massively grow? Or was it more of a, how did you get to where you are today, basically? What were the steps in between? Interesting. So I get, I think there are probably maybe like three phases. Uh, and maybe four when we start going through it, but let's, let's start three. So the initial phase was just getting out there to independence. Uh, and it was kind of like, we didn't go for the launched in Whole Foods selfies. We just basically walked the streets and sold it to anyone who would take it. And But when, when we sold it to them, we'd make sure we'd support them with samplings and heavily. And, and it's quite interesting yeah. because the first 10 shops we sold into up until really recently were probably still the best selling stores we, we had because we just invested so much time in that early, early stage. Um, and then you had the kind of, the kind of, I guess, traditional second phase, which was Holland Barrett, uh, Ocado. Uh, we had a little spell in M&S. And that was when it was starting to get somewhat somewhat more serious, um, feeling a bit more real. Throughout all of this, we were kind of more than doubling every year. So we went 60 when I was working to 250 to 500. Uh, and then, so that's, that's with Holland Barracado and all these hundreds of independents. 
Um, and what we knew in that stage was product was incredible. Once people discovered it, they wouldn't just keep buying it, but they would tell all their friends about it. So there was this organic, organic kind of sensation of 100 people would try it. They tell 100 of their friends, blah, blah, blah. Um, the first big step change came uh, with, so there were two things. One, we got a call from uh, Gusto telling us they needed 9,000 pots in nine days. Uh, and because their, their manufacturer let, had let them down. And best decision of Man Life's history was dropping everything to do that because we got 30,000 pots from Belgium, got 12 uh, mates in the kitchen, we packed 9,000 pots in over two nights, delivered them on time. And what followed from that was a contract with Gusto that was, or a relationship with Gusto that's lasted forever. Uh, Hello Fresh, little mini pots. So yeah, little the, mini pots. So pot. Gusto, Mindful Chef, and Hello yeah. Fresh all worked Man Life. So that was one big step change. The next step changed with Waitrose. And what happened was that sensation of 100 people telling 100 people suddenly became 1,000 people telling 1,000 people. And, we, and that kicked us on a fair bit. So that got us to come just over a million, a million. And then the big jump, which has come this last year, was lockdown and Sainsbury's. And we and what happened with that, yeah. this is, I'm not regularly giving 16 answers. What happened with that is... We, for the quality of product and brand that we are, we at the start of the year, we were pretty under-distributed. Um, and so our access to consumer was, wasn't what it maybe should have been. But we had quite good online setups. And so when consumers moved online, suddenly it was like access to them, to them became democratized. And for the, at the start of the year, we were, if the top five rated peanut butters on Amazon, four of them were Manny Life. And we just like blew up. So our online sales went up kind of 10x. Um, and we, we kind of like over doubled the business in a couple of months with no new distribution. We then got Sainsbury's, which was a kind of an next step change. Uh, and yeah, the business quadrupled um, in, in lockdown. I read, sorry, I read, I read a stat uh in in online apparently you sold more peanut butter in four days than you did in a whole year that's crazy <laughs> and i guess that just signifies like kind of what lot because we i mean we spoke to a lot of founders about you know how did you deal with covid how difficult was it and and a lot of them said you know it was challenging because it was just crazy right but i guess and pretty much all of the founders that we've spoken to all said that a lot of it a lot of the success that's come off the back of it is down to the fact that they already had a lot of these uh, kind of e-com channels set up, whether it's Amazon, whether it's your own DGC website. Um, but, but the kind of the growth in such a short period of time must have been really challenging. Yeah, and and I think it's always really important to remember. So there was that, like, sure, there's the opportunity there, but it's like the team, the team were just absolutely unbelievable. Like, mm. I'm, and I'm just so, so proud of that. Oh, I mean, it's grown substantially from, from that call that was at the start of lockdown, but like so proud of all of them because like, yeah, it was just all of a sudden like kind of chaos and they all really, really pulled through. Um, 
and yeah it was it was super exciting and pulled through working in a completely different environment all from home um like all the kind of mental health stuff that comes with that um yeah it was like they were amazing i'm sure and a- anyone who i know 10x or 2x whatever over lockdown will, will have the same story mm, definitely so how also another question how did you um build out your range i'm very intrigued now to hear about your accident of your deep rose flavor which is sublime okay so <laughs> ultimately kind of uh innovation by coincidence um but the best product we yeah so we when we were in the kitchens in 2015 2016 um used to basically we burnt the nuts in in the oven uh and i was sat there thinking like fuck you can't pull this out but i'm gonna have to and my name was just said let's blend it up and see so he blended it up taste it and he was like, they black? they're black peanuts coming out the oven initially they they like it was kind of close that we've honed it since but it was it, we overcooked them um and mate blends it up and he's like she's actually really really good so we i'm sitting in a circle being like guys what's a good name for burn and we came up with deep roast and the, the first deep roast jars were our old white labels with um deep roast written in the indelible marker and that product that we created by accident few mates in the kitchen has been honed since but it was the first of its kind of the world it's the only product, only peanut butter in history to ever been awarded three great taste stars. Every major wow. brand in the UK has launched their version of it off the back of it. There's a couple of propped up in Australia. There's some popping up in Germany. And it was just like a few boys in the kitchen, who, mm. which, is, which is like pretty amazing. I remember when the, first, yeah. when the second one came out, I was a bit like wound up. But then all of a sudden I was like, hang on a second, we've just completely changed the category. Yeah, that's insane. Because actually, that's an interesting one. You think, like, how can you continue to grow a peanut butter category? Um, but actually, yeah, you're right. Like, it's the flavours. It's the way you roast. There's so... Because there's, there's crunchy. There's smooth. Um, we we in, we accidentally introduced, a, like, a new dimension to peanut butter. And and I think you can... I think we can expand flavours through roast to, like, to more than just yeah. deep and original. Um I think we can get pretty creative on textures and inclusions. And we, I can't give away too much, but we are launching our first kind of, or developing our first foray into wow, I mean- uh, applying the same, applying the same principles as, as like traceability, uh, best in class ingredients, et cetera. But yeah, that's, super exciting i can't say yeah that is exciting um (laughs) i will definitely be having to try some of those because yeah i'm a peanut butter fan i literally don't think i i have it like well for breakfast and dessert pretty much every day um so next question i guess is you make you've touched on team before but how did you build out your team how did it was it through friends and friends or was it through recruiters or um again there are probably the probably three phases to this first phase was customers and volunteers um and that took us to a certain level um there was then like holy shit i need some help and it was friends friends of friends um introductions to investors 
the only person who remains from that era is uh, Mr. Pope, Dan Pope. I met, he's a mate of my wee brothers. I met him in the pub when he was quite pissed and he was just like, Stu, I love food. I want to come work with you. And I was like, amazing. So, and he's obviously an absolute legend. Um, and then that took us to a certain level, but ultimately like the people went right. And the next phase uh, is a mixture of recruiters um, yeah. on Instagram. And this, the team we've got now is like fantastic. And, and what we're bringing for our next phase is just a bit more experience. So we've up until recently, sorry, up until recently, we've backed youth and energy to like the, the next level. And now that we're like a proper, I mean, it's like, I guess, scale up, um, it's bringing in people who've yeah. done the journey before. Yeah. So let's talk about that. What What's next then? What's in the, the plan? Um, kind of what is future? Have you got like a head of sales coming in or is it head of marketing or, you know, so, yeah, that sort of so, thing? So we've had, we've had a head of sales for the last, kind of, I guess, year, which has been absolutely fantastic, like transform, transform business. We're currently hiring a head of marketing, uh, oh. which is a big hire. Um, and then it's also getting into like technical and product hires. Yeah. Um, in terms of what's next for the business, I think when this is airing, uh, we'll be either launched or about to launch in booth and, and co-op, which we're super excited about. Yes, that's so cool. And ultimately, it's kind of keeping try, trying our best to keep it simple, um, yeah. which is just getting as many people as possible to try the product uh, and having as much fun as possible uh, in the process. And we've got a few projects which I probably can't talk about but so some more listings um some kind of new flavors um tbc tbc um and I guess um just yeah kind of keeping to your core in terms of who you are as business and making sure that you don't lose sight of why you started yeah exactly and there's just so much more we can do like if if you think that once someone tries money life they're like three times more likely to buy it than, than, than pre-trying it. We still only sell to, I think, like 4% of the UK. Mm. 50% of the UK buy peanut butter. There aren't many people who, who try Manning Life that don't switch. So it's just like keeping it simple. I, I have something, and sorry, we're sort of going back to the present a little bit, but I was just in, I was intrigued about, because you spoke about kind of your growth on Amazon. Um, and obviously with the Sainsbury's listing and your you know, listing listings that you had, and obviously you've mentioned that you've got a few exciting ones coming up. What is your, what is your kind of channel split look like now? You know, are you still, cause I know obviously you started with sort of independence and, and things like that. How is it kind of, as it was, did, did COVID affect it? Is it changing and where do you think it will go in the future? So like everyone, um, online became a much bigger part um and it's really interesting to see whether that maintains itself or whether the return to normality kind of drifts it back um so we our online business was bigger than our grocery business last year um we expect that to change because there's a lot of green space to go after grocers um 
And then because we were in the fortunate position to be supplying all the major rescue ops companies uh, in the UK and obviously rode that lift off, they became a much larger part of the business too. I think their growth is, I mean, that be unbelievable if they grew the same amount. I think that's probably unlikely, but essentially online is maybe half the business, uh, grocery 30% um, and export indies and, and uh, restaurant books is the rest. As we get into more and more grocery accounts, we, we expect grocery to kind of take off, but it all, it all depends on how, what happens to this online trend and whether it kind of retreats somewhat or whether it kicks on. And what do you, what do you, what's your gut feel? Like, obviously it's hard to, it's hard to predict these things, but I feel like you know, at the time of recording, at least things are, things are looking in the right direction in terms of, you know, lockdown easing, we're allowed to go back out. People are kind of people who potentially changed their shopping habits this time last year are now potentially moving back towards, you know, going to a big supermarket, less convenient, less online. What do you think kind of the future of sort of grocery shopping and obviously in relation to sort of your sector specifically, what do you think it could look like? It's so, it's so interesting, isn't it? And ultimately, like, we'll see. Um, yeah. I think, I think every food business to succeed now will, will need to be, will need to have like an omni-channel strategy and you, there's just so much cropping up right so you've got rescue boxes that aren't going to go away you've got these 10 15 minute delivery companies popping up everywhere and it's really interesting what's going to happen with them great all major grocery is kind of innovating into that space maybe start somewhat slower but they're all getting into speedy deliveries like tesco's running worse um i think grocery will will maintain itself as like the the the, the kind of lead the lead in the category, but I think within grocery that they, they will have the, these like little elements. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Tesco Sainsbury starting to buy up um, your, your Wheezies, Gorillas, whatever um, in the coming years. But I think it feels like it will stabilize somewhat, but I don't, I don't think we'll retreat back to, to pre-COVID uh, kind of living no I agree. yeah I think being in London was so spoiled mm. with having these like on-demand deliveries deliveries anything we want we can get it within like literally I swear yeah. three minutes now and um, it's just whether that that scales nationwide yeah. I guess because obviously where, where I'm from um there isn't the option to buy your groceries and you get delivered in 15 yeah. minutes so urban, cent urban centers are going to have that though within the next 12 months like if you look gorillas wheezy all, the, all these guys they're all I mean in insanely fast propping up DCs yeah. all over the place which is yeah great for kind of young urban brands uh, mm, like yeah um, yeah yeah fascinating maybe we could do another another podcast in two years and see yeah so taking us back yeah exactly yeah that's cool um the question as well I guess for the future and like what's next um is there any plan I know this is something that Coconut Collab um had to do and did um so obviously the less that you produce the more expensive your product is and obviously the more the more you produce you can obviously get your costs down um i love your peanut butter so i do buy it at the cost but it's not cheap 
Um, I think people can agree with me like it's an expensive product over um, over what, you know, Sainsbury's own brand would. And obviously they don't source their peanuts ethically. There's probably palm oil and there's probably added sugar. So I understand that part of it. But is your plan potentially later down to have a relook at your pricing and would you like to be able to offer it to the customer at a cheaper price to encourage, I guess, more consumers to to buy it because price is like the biggest barrier to entry with so many of these small brands yeah that's a big question i think so there's a couple of things one we are a uh, batch batch producer so we produce in small batches basically so our scalar benefits are not the same as a as a brand that produces inline, where in inline is basically you put a ton of peanuts in one end uh, and a ton of peanut butter comes out the other. So, we, so it, we're not quite, we're not operating the same kind of um, axes as them. Uh, I think we can find ways to, to, to sell the products at a more economic price through pack formats, like small pack formats. But Ultimately, once people try it, our job is to get as many people to try it as possible and, and try and get them to trade up. Because if you think, if you think back, and it's interesting, you wonder how many people go to Starbucks to buy a coffee, but or Starbucks or, or a specialty coffee store or whatever. But you think back 20 years ago and the idea of, of spending £2.50 a, or, or more than that on a cup of coffee every day was absolutely mental. And yet there's now... yeah millions hundreds of millions of people around the world doing it and, and more than that you go into such niche coffee yeah. chains yeah exactly um i think we've got a bit more of a job to do to do on getting people to trade up we'll see um but it's just having faith that the the juice is worth the squeeze i think ultimately i mean again we everyone we spoke on most people that we've spoken to kind of i would say have, have what i would describe as a quality product right and obviously Usually, this is not always the case, but usually the cheaper things are the worst the quality, right? And I guess there's always going to be a trade-off between price, convenience, quality. And yes, you know, most consumers or shoppers for, for in, in grocery want, you know, things that are cheap and convenient for them. Ultimately, I guess your target audience and the people that you're targeting and the people that you want to be money like customers probably are slightly more affluent, probably do live in slightly more, you know, urban areas, you know, customers are kind of in line with your, with and your pricing structure. So I guess, I guess you, you're not under any illusion that you're going to become, you know, the next Kellogg's or, you know, a company of that size, because, you know, you, you may have this, <laughs> but, um, you know, that's, it's a whole nother kind of level. But if you're creating a kind of small artisan quality product, there's always going to be a trade-off price and kind of yeah. Quality. I don't. It's funny. I don't think. I don't think. Um, I don't see Manny Life as kind of. I mean, we we produce in batches, but I don't see us as kind of small-scale artisan. I do. I do think our goal is to kind of bring the mainstream upstream. Mm-hmm. In the same way that um, if you look at craft beer, for instance, I mean, Brewdog may never be as big as Budweiser. But the amount of value they've added to the category at Camden, Beavertown, et cetera, mm. is they've added far more value to the category over the last mm. 10 years, I would imagine, than, than Budweiser or, or, whatever, or even Heineken, which was considered premium before these guys launched. 
Um, it's, I think it's about changing people's perception of what like should be spent on, on that category. Um, because peanut butter previously was just like commodity kind of, I mean, don't want to call it crap, like commodity, quite low grade stuff. The growth is coming from premiumization, better products and people eating it more. Like I'm not sure about you guys, but I remember growing up and my dad would buy a jar of peanut butter every like two years and it would sit in the back of, back of the cupboard. Most people who buy jars of money life get through it in a week. It's, it's like, it's about changing the perception of, of peanut butter or beer yeah. or chocolate or coffee or... It's really yeah. interesting when you put it like that because yeah. you, know, you look at the likes of brew dog and even, you know, coconut yogurt, yeah. you know, coconut clavitin is a category that probably didn't even, or it did yeah. exist, but it didn't exist in the way that it does now. These, you know, categories grow organically, you know, mm. who'd have thought mm. vegan cheese was even possible 20 yeah. years ago, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it, Sort of come out woodwork and grow and and it's down to brands like yourself brood you know mm. people that sort of lead the mm. lead the way mm. in, in that sense. there's there, that's really interesting because there's the new there's the new category piece but there's also like the the topper category piece and there's so many examples there's cliche examples but like what um fever tree did to tonic water is another example mm. but basically every category has a good better best i think a lot of brands have popped up in the last five, 10 years, because they've seen the category that they perceived as having a good and better, but, with, but no best. Tonic water was different because there was basically only, there was only good. There was, there was Schweppes and they yeah. had left this huge gaping hole. Um, but for instance, we know that when a consumer becomes a main life consumer, they buy more often, more of it um, and pay more for it, which is great for, our, our customers the grocers it's also kind of great for consumer because they've discovered this new thing that they can put in everything and they eat more often so yeah it's, i think it's just about like backing the quality of the product and eventually we may get to a stage where like we've hit a ceiling and then and then we start looking at different things but yeah i, I think we're a long way off like value engineering the product to sell at half the price and I'm not sure I'd want to yeah. run a business that no. does that. No, interesting. I don't. I didn't have a perception or a, a, an answer, really. I just yeah. wanted to hear your yeah. thoughts on it. Yeah. I think it's an interesting question to ask companies because I think it really gets them to think about, like, how they value their brand. Yeah, for sure. I think we could do a much better job on, um, and we've got projects in the pipeline to do this, but a much better job on, um, like, increasing the perceived the perceived yes. value of the product before you've tried it. Like the jars were in with the jars I picked them off a shelf um, when I was back in the kitchen and we've got a few things to do on that, on that front. But mm. we kind of, we do have this, like we know that when people try it, they tend to trade up yeah. and, it, and it becomes a lot easier if, it, if, the, if the product looks fantastic before they've tried it. So just quickly before we end on our quickfire closing okay. questions, as you've mentioned a few times, people, um, you know, when they try it, they love it. Mm. Do you have quite a heavy emphasis then on sampling? Huge. Yeah. 
uh, and um, and it how so those little mini pots that we that we created yeah. for Gusto have been have just been an, an unlocker, uh, and the challenge is now trying to create formats where it's the sampling experience is even better. Um, this last year has been challenging from a sampling perspective because you couldn't live wet sample, but an interesting um, kind of avenue is jumping on the back of other big e-commerce brands and finding kind of innovative ways to, to get products in people's hands. So like one of the things we looked at um, is new homes, for instance, without giving too much away. When people move into their home, um, they get these little hampers and we do stuff in those. Um, mm. the, ne- the next phase of kind of sampling is um, building out our branded food service uh, kind of arm. And there's yeah. so much exciting stuff to do with that. Every, every hotel in the country has a mini pot of jam, a mini pot of honey, a mini pot of marmite, yeah. a mini pot of Nutella, but there's no mini pot of, of peanut butter. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. So, um, moving on to our quickfire closing round. We've got five questions. Just to wrap up, um, I'll go first, but they're kind of intended for you to sort of think on your feet um, and answer as quick as, as possible. What is your favorite product that you've created to date? So the one that we're about to launch, but preceding that, uh, the Deep Rose Crunchy, which was like the beginning of the new dimension of peanut butter. What is your best bit of advice for someone who wants to start their own brand? And I know that it's, obviously, it's never an easy question. And yeah. you're not allowed to say just do it because I feel like we've had that so much. <laughs> so you have to think All right. Um, okay, so this is be quick fire because that was that was the quick fire answer. Obviously, uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to give one that's not a cliche. Um. So sometimes to be fast the best thing to do is to slow down cool sorry i think you could yeah. you could probably take yeah. that a bit of advice and i could give myself yeah. that piece of advice every every day so don't worry about it so. every minute every bloody minute yeah um what are your favorite food brands at the moment so <laughs> Coconut Collaborative tops the list by an absolute country mile. Uh, I've, I've been eating your little chocolate pots uh, just more or less every night for the last two weeks. Um, I'm trying to be ones that aren't the kind of classic classics. Uh, really like what um, the Tofu Co. have been doing. Yeah. Uh, I think how they've taken like what was a kind of quite weird, almost like stigmatized product yeah. and just made it banging, quite youthful. Got it big into um, they're big into recipe creation and the guy guys that run it are lovely. And I don't drink their products, nor do I really know them that well. They did meet one of the founders years ago, but minor figures. I'm just yeah, really yeah, I'm just really really milk, impressed. Milk. Yeah, well they do co- they do coffees and milks. They do coffee in the cans, yeah. yeah. I'm just really impressed by how they've like built a, I mean, a pretty big business by the sounds of things, but managed the like attention to detail at like independent um, kind of grassroots level uh, with like a super focused strategy, it seems. Um, I don't understand their 
billboard adverts of just the characters. I think that's. Yeah, it's really weird because every time every time we, we drive, drive we drive home to um to Berkshire, we always drive past it on the Hammersmith flyover. They've got this big billboard, and it's just it's like it, a bird. Is it a bird? It, yeah. It's just really bizarre. I've been yeah. there for like two years. Yeah, you know, I know. The, and they must the, be spending an absolute fortune on it, or it's just like yeah. rob rob the billboard. Yeah. But yeah, and there's and there's nothing else. It's like not even like available. No. I don't think it even says minor figures, but. And that's the thing. It's just, I was thinking about it because I know what mine figures is. I know what it yeah. is. But I was thinking, like, the average Joe driving on that, they're probably looking at that, like, what is a minor figure? Yeah. Well, minor figures, if you're listening, please come on our podcast and tell us what is the deal with your billboards. Yeah. I'd be interested in that as well. But no, I mean, whatever they're doing, sounds like it's working. So, so get on them. But yeah. Maybe, well, that's it. We're talking about yeah. it. It's obviously working. Exactly. Yeah, fair. fair what is the one. Thing you wish you'd known when you started Manny Life? Probably the same bit of advice I'd give someone starting up. Um, I think I think probably so there's a, there's a bit around people but that's that's cliche and it's like get, get more get people in um, as soon as you can and make sure they're better than you. Um, but I think, like, remember to enjoy it because there's this whole thing of, like, and I think lots of founders have it and lots of people, lots of people work with food have it, but, like, this, like, internal drive that comes from not necessarily, like, a super healthy place. And you can kind of get lost and caught up in the, like, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. Um, and forget to, like, pause and appreciate it that, like, I think to some extent what we're doing is quite special. Like, um, so yeah, just enjoy it. And I'll probably be, yeah, saying that for a while. Um, and lastly, what is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? God, okay. Uh, so... I guess, ironically, yeah. your biggest, well... It wasn't your failure, mm. but the the fact that you burnt the yeah 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 there is that. I think there's what there's one as well, which was I'm not and I'm not sure categorize it necessarily as a failure, but there was a period where um, we just spent a lot of time on like a fairly stressful um, fundraise that took far longer than we thought it would, um, and then finished that and two weeks. Um, later uh, three of our um, kind of supply partners all moved at the same time and there was it was a bit of like a supply chain meltdown which ultimately what we've learned a load of lessons from but this was this was years ago and loads of things happened so like products that and it also occurred when we were on a bit of a sales drive so we were kind of rushing product out of the door during this during this quite risky period and loads of product that shouldn't have been sold because it wasn't really good enough, got put on the shelves. We lost a few customers in that process. And it was all just because like it got a bit chaotic and we were trying to rush stuff out. Whereas in reality, if we could have just paused and mm. realized that this was actually like a pretty major risk, like the fact that three major supply partners are moving all the same period and being like, look, speak to our customers say guys we're gonna have a bit of a spell here this is a serious risk give us 
two, three weeks to sort this out, trust me, it'll be worth it because we don't, we don't want to put bad, bad products out. Then I think it would be a lot less stressful um, and other people would manage better. Um, what ended up happening is product kind of got through all the quality checks, which kind of fell through because everyone was moving. And we ended up with kind of, I think it was like five tons of, of under-roasted peanut butter. Some of it got through to customers, which we managed to get out, but we ended up giving, I think it was four and a bit tons of peanut butter to um, the like refugee community kitchen in Calais, which was like a, like a one, a nice little thing that yeah, around this period, but yeah, like it's having your eyes up and acknowledging where like the big risks are and slowing down when that happens. But yeah, we, I mean, we've learned so much from that spell and our like quality checks and everything is just like next level compared to that. I guess, yeah, nothing's really like a massive failure then yeah. if you learn from it. Yeah, exactly. But I guess it's knowing when to, as you say, slow down, but then also knowing when to speed up 9,000 yeah. units in a box as quickly as you bloody can and getting it to go through on time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like take take everything else with a pinch of salt. Yeah. Basically, don't follow exactly. any advice I've just given because it's probably all wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, well, literally like the biggest thank you um, for being on our podcast. Um, loved having you on. I think there's some great stories in there. And I hope that the listeners enjoy. Thanks, Zoe, and, thank, and thanks, Sam. And uh, yeah, apologies if I wasn't too succinct, but I talk a lot. <laughs> no, we like that. It's all good. I'm used to it. Zoe talks a lot too. Yeah. All right, good stuff. Cool. Guys, have a great evening, great bank holiday, and uh, yeah, lots of love for the listeners. Please remember to follow, subscribe, and leave a review as it really supports what we do. See you guys next time.